Welcome to the EDU Podcast, where Rob and Gary talk and drink with your favorite photographers. So grab yourself a cold sarsaparilla and saddle up. This podcast is brought to you by Capture One Pro, the preferred imaging software of professional photographers due to the outstanding quality delivered straight from the camera. With powerful yet easy to use tools, you get extraordinary results in just a few edits. Download your free 30-day trial today and release the true potential of your raw images at CaptureOne.com. In this episode, we are joined with the one and only Brooke Shaden and also Rob Grimm, unfortunately. <laughs> you Rob's love, still here. You love having me next to you. I do. Well, you'd be lost I without do. me. No, Brooke, I am so excited to finally meet you. I've been following your work forever. Oh, thank you. It I'm is, so happy to be here. It's insane. Oh. So for the for the, the people out there that might not know who you are, which is there's probably two of them, how would <laughs> how would how would you describe your work to them? It's funny because I was, I feel like I had good practice with this because I was just recently on an airplane where somebody said, what do you do? And I said, I'm a photographer. And they said, oh, you shoot weddings, like just automatic assumption. And I said, no. And then I was, I thought, okay, I'm going to try, I'm going to do my elevator pitch and explain what the heck I do. So I said, well, I do surreal self-portraits that are otherworldly and whimsical and look like fairy tales. And, and then they said, oh, so like video game stuff and I was like yeah sure video game stuff whatever that means so it's hard to describe but um I do all square format fine art photography mostly self-portraiture definitely based in surrealism yeah when I look at your work I I think about a modern day Cindy Sherman yeah. You know, I, were you influenced by her? I mean, she's, she's the, kind of the early queen of self-portraits. See, not originally, because when I started photography, I knew nothing about it. I didn't even know that like anybody made money from photography. I just thought it was this weird thing that I could do and express my stories. And so I didn't know any photographers. So how'd you get into photography? Let's, let's talk about that. I got into it, um, just cause a friend suggested that we both start doing self portraits. She and I were living in different States and she called me up one day and she was like, you know, we haven't seen each other for so long. And I just learned about this thing called self portraiture. So let's both start taking pictures and then we can send them to each other and see how it goes. So I said, okay. And I was about to graduate from college. So I had some free time and I was like why not so I started taking self-portraits and she did too and we would send them to each other every day and then about two weeks later she quit she was like I don't like this This isn't fun anymore and I was (laughs) like oh I'm hooked like I didn't want to ever stop so I kept going so were those very first few images those first 14 days were they thematic were you trying to come up with something or was it just like oh here's a picture of me no, definitely thematic. I mean, I'm I'm have very much the photographer mentality, which is I don't want to be photographed. So the thought of just standing in front of the camera and looking like myself was horrifying. So I never wanted to do that. So I came very much from a place of theme. And I remember my first image was, um, do you know the the prayer? Um, uh, what is it called? If I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to yeah. keep something yeah, yeah. like that. Yeah, I don't yeah. remember. But my grandmother used to recite this prayer. And it was something that always stuck with me. And I always found to be very creepy, like the idea of handing your soul over to someone. Like I just never understood it as a kid. So my first um, photo shoot was about that prayer and sort of visually carrying that out and figuring out how I could do it with myself. Is it, is it hard to concept the images and then get in front of the camera? 
It's easier to me. Um, because you're playing a character and you're not really you? Yeah, because yeah. because I don't see myself at all in the pictures. I mean, I've gotten to the point where it's so much a story and it's so not me that that I just sort of take on whoever I have to be for the moment. And then, you know, I look back through the pictures and I just think, oh, that's somebody else. That's that character. And I don't even look at my face anymore. That's interesting. That is crazy. So how long have you been doing this? Just so we can get a, a um, sense. Yeah, about eight years now. Okay. Yeah, almost to the day, actually. So who are your current clients? It's a good question. My clients are um, a lot of people that I never meet. So, yep. you know, when I went into photography, I loved what I was doing, which was creepy, dark self-portraits. And I thought there would be no market for that. But everyone started saying, oh, you know, there are other ways you could make money if you want to be a photographer. And I thought the idea of headshots or weddings was so distressing to me because I couldn't even <laughs> fathom having clients in front of me. Like I'm very antisocial, very shy, very nervous, anxious. So that was just horrifying. So I said, you know what? I don't want to ruin photography for myself and do weddings and do headshots and then hate photography itself. So I just said, I'm going to get a regular job and then do what I love and then try to market that. So my clients are, um, art buyers through galleries, um, uh, book publishers. So I do a lot of um, book covers, um, album art, um, movie posters, things like that. Where do you find most of your inspiration for your ideas? Because your ideas are undoubtedly original. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, like when you look at your work, you just like, you stop and you're like, wow, how did she come up with this? Like, what what is that process like to come up with an idea? Well, I very much come from a point of view of um, literature and symbolism and mythology and things like that. So I've always loved reading and picking apart a scene in a book and figuring out all the layers of symbolism. So that's how I go about my images as well, where I always start with theme. And from that one word that might encapsulate the theme, like maybe my theme is decay, I'll start to say, OK, well, what visually would represent that? And just break it down as simply as possible, where I'll say, OK, okay, what prop would represent that theme and what location and what wardrobe and so on and so forth until every single element of that image has meaning and builds on the theme. So that's, I, I just know what I love, which is death and decay and darkness and weird things like that. And so I start there with that theme and then build on top. Where have you learned um, post-processing and like how has that evolved from like when you first started to like where you're at today? Well, it, it has not evolved very far, astonishingly, <laughs> over the last eight years. I taught myself mostly. Um, my husband is very technical, so he will understand how to do things like batch processes and plugins, and I don't know any of that stuff at all. So I taught myself the creative side of things, you know, colors and um, lighting and stuff like that in Photoshop, and then I'll ask him, like, okay, for the 10 millionth time, please explain to me a layer mask. I cannot wrap my head around this. So it was a little bit of a collaboration, mostly just clicking buttons and choosing the ones that made the most sense to me. Would you say a lot of um, your work is done in camera? Or are you relying on, relying on post? Or is I'm it a mix? definitely relying on post, but at the same time, a lot of people will say to me, well, you're not a real photographer. Stop calling yourself a photographer Who because it's digital you? art. So, what? you know, I think photo purists, and I understand why they have this point of view, because for them, it's like photography used to be one thing, and now maybe it's not so much. Um, 
so I get a lot of flack about that, but I always say that my images are still completely photographic. You know, there's nothing digital about them. And in fact, it's very simple. Like if you can open up Photoshop, import two pictures and use the eraser tool, you can do most of what I do. So it's not very technically complicated, but it does rely on Photoshop to get it to where it needs to be. Well, I wholeheartedly disagree with that comment of yeah, you're I not a too. photographer. It's a ridiculous that, opinion. I know. That's like just, so, just to say that. You you create an image, you bring something to life with a camera. Like there shouldn't be just one this is a photographer, this is what a photographer does. That's 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 ridiculous. And Photoshop is just a tool to help us make our images, period. That's all it is. Yeah. So I'm really interested in in this process for you, how it went from just doing self portraiture where you're dreaming these things up to actually turning into client work. What was what was that transition like? It was kind of a funny transition. I was working as a receptionist in Los Angeles and I was I have a background in filmmaking, so I went to school for filmmaking and I thought I would be a filmmaker. So I went to LA, you know, thinking as most people do that I'm going to make it big really fast, you know, as a director or something, <laughs> right. and quickly realized that I had to get a desk job to pay my bills and so I did. And I was working this desk job where I had nothing to do all day, basically. I just sat there at the desk. So I would get up every day at 5 a.m. and do a photo shoot in the morning and then go into work and edit my photo all day. And then by lunchtime, the people that I worked with started to know that I had a photo every single day that was new. So they would come around my desk and, and every lunch we would all get together and look at what the new image was. So that started happening and it became this cute little tradition. And then all of a sudden one day, this woman who was, you know, a frequent onlooker of my work, she, she said, you know, I go into galleries all the time and your work isn't like, you know, that bad compared to some of those people in there. And she, so she, please tell me she didn't say that. Bad. Oh no, she did. It was really funny, <laughs> but you know, she was very sweet too. So she just said, you know what, why don't you just try? Like there's no harm and it could work out. So, so I started to reach out to galleries and just asking myself, how can I continue to create work that I want to create that's not for anybody else and yet make money? And so I thought of every avenue possible. Well, probably not, but so far. And, um, and that's what I started doing. So what galleries are you in now? Are, are there any? Yeah, so I have representation in um, a few different states in the U.S., um, in Amsterdam and Portugal as oh, well. Awesome. So, um, so yeah, a variety of places. What are the sizes I can get a, a, an image in? Anywhere from uh, 10 inches to 40 inches is nice. typical. Sometimes 50, sometimes 60, it depends. But I have a show up right now of brand new work that's sized at 8 inches and 42 inches. How did you, are you part of the printing process and picking that out and getting it approved and how much of a learning curve was that for you? Yeah, it was huge. I mean, printing is one of the most technical things and I hate it. I would never choose to print my own work because I just know that I don't have the patience for it. But it's so important that a photographer knows the paper and the printing process and understands what that's like because it's your baby. I mean, you're putting your name on that. So I went through a long process of using my printer in Los Angeles as a mentor to myself. So I would go in and sit with him and ask him questions and watch him print and look at all of his papers and just learn so much about exactly what paper I'm using as well as um, the G-Clay process and, and all of that. Yeah. So it's G-Clay printing. That's yes. a, that's kind of an older technique, right? Yeah, definitely. Bit, yeah. Yeah. Um, I was once told that it's uh, French for to piss on. 
So I don't Seriously? know. Yeah, but I've basically it's um Kelly process. It's the spraying process of the ink on the paper. So yeah. that's what it means. But I don't know if that's true, but that's what I've been told. Color is really critical in printing, and it's also really evident in your work. How much time do you spend planning out your color palette? So much time. And honestly, I think that's maybe one of the most overlooked elements of what a lot of people do in the more fine art side of things, because color to me is like... It, that's that's when I feel like I'm creating my image when I start editing. It, like I can composite all day and that's fine and that's good, but but everybody can do that same thing and they'll have the same exact picture until you start to put your color stamp on it. So to me, color is so exciting because it's like every color is a symbol. Every color means something. Like if I said, what does red mean to you? Then you could tell me what it means. Like what does red mean to you? Well, yeah, I agree with you. Color is very emotional. Yeah. You know, and red, obviously it can evoke love. It can evoke anger. It can exactly. evoke aggression. There's so many different things that it does. Right. Um, color is one of the fastest ways to make somebody feel. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's, it's very overlooked. So I always try to make sure that I have one main color in an image and then sort of a complementary, maybe background color as well that won't distract from it because if you have that good punch of color even if it's black and white even if it's neutral if there's a very singular color palette then it, it makes you feel so much Brooke I want to talk a little bit about WPPI and just kind of what these shows mean to you and like networking like how do you use these shows to your benefit I don't at all <laughs> this Why is the truth <laughs> no I like being here but I don't use it to my benefit I have to say I'm like so out of place here, but that's why I love coming because I feel like I'm this like little weirdo hippie flitting around everywhere and and uh, and I don't fit in in so many ways here. And so that's why I like it because you you start to sort of notice all the other people who are maybe slightly outsiders who are a little bit weird and and then you get this little sense of community from it. So I, well, why don't you fit in? I think you fit in fine. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I I don't like crowds. I don't like parties. I <laughs> don't um, enjoy cities at all. And what about shows? She lives in LA. What about no, shows? No, no, no. I moved. You did. I, uh, I'm in like know? a rural town in Arizona. I'm right. trust me. I am like really antisocial. <laughs> yeah. How'd you pick the town in Arizona? Um, it's really health conscious and really tiny and really scenic and um, very removed and all the things that I love. <laughs> all the things. Yep, everything. So you and your husband just packed up and moved? Yes. Yeah. yeah, and I don't know anybody where I live. Like, honestly, nobody. <laughs> and I've lived there for three and a half years. Say, this is not a joke. You know no one. In there like eight weeks. I don't, I don't know anybody. <laughs> well, you don't really need to. I, do you need to know anyone? Well, no, not if you ask me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very happy just being home with my cats. <laughs> yeah. How many? So you're a cat lady. Yeah. How many cats much. do you have? I only have two. So oh, that's two. really like. So Rob has more cats. I've got four. I would if I could. Yeah. They're yeah. great. They're totally great. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about social media. You kind of have what everybody wants, and that's like a hugely followed page. Oh. <laughs> How did like what's what's your advice? for people out there that, that want to gain that notoriety or gain that sort of access? Well, I think that the first thing is to stop thinking about it like that. I mean, the second that you say, I want a large following, you're sort of degrading the people who are following you in a sense, you know, just by using that word following, it's like, 
you know, I don't want people to follow me, like walk behind me and watch what I'm doing. I just want to create a sense of community. And that's all I've ever wanted. So I've never gone about social media in a way where I've said, I want people to follow this page. Like it feels good and it gives you sort of a false sense of um, coolness maybe that you were maybe missing in high school. I don't know. But, But for me, it's so much about just being as encouraging and authentic as possible and letting people know oh, I'm going to live in my weirdness and I'm going to put that out there. And if you want to join me, then please do. And so that's all I do. Have you seen a big change with Facebook? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It's much harder to reach people. Yeah. Um, A little bit frustrating. But then, I mean, that's life. Then you just go over to Instagram. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) So how much of your current work that you're getting comes from social media? You know, I'm not, I don't know if I've ever figured that out entirely. I think that it's really easy to reach other photographers on social media. Not so easy necessarily to pinpoint um, art buyers on social media and people who are collecting and and things like that. Um, So I, I think a good portion of my income comes from social media, but I would say that at least a third to half comes from gallery representation and myself reaching out to companies to get work and things like that. It's really interesting because you talk about how antisocial you are. Yeah. Um, and moving to this place in Arizona where you don't know anybody, but your goal is to build community and mm-hmm. to put yourself out there. Yeah. So you kind of hide behind your photographs, and I guess in some ways you're hiding behind your hiding social media. in the photographs. <laughs> she's in them, Rob. <laughs> no, she, but I'm, she's playing I'm a kidding. character. I'm kidding. Right? giving you the hard time. Always. God, he's always giving me a hard time. Giving you the hard time. So it's interesting to me that you're almost this contradiction because you um, you are kind of introverted, but you're so putting yourself out there, and you're building a community. Yeah, it's, I mean... Do you find that ironic? Yes, I do. And everyone in my life does too. And, <laughs> and they're always commenting about it. And it, it is true. I mean, I, I, um, I get really intimidated and overwhelmed very easily in a group or even just one-on-one with people. But at the same time, I have this intense desire to encourage other people and to be part of something bigger than myself, which I think most of us want, you know, is a sense of community and a sense that we're doing something good for other people. So I think that while in my very personal life, I like to be very personal and I like to be by myself and I don't like working with other people, I like to have a very controlled environment where I can put myself out there and show people who I am and it might not make sense and I'm sure it doesn't make sense. No, I think it does. I think it makes great sense and I I think what people should really take away from it is you can really be who you are Yeah. And still reach the kind of audiences or or put yourself out there. I shouldn't say reach the audiences. You can be who you are and still put yourself out there in a way that really speaks to you as an individual. Yeah. I mean, it's the most important thing. I mean, social media is this horrifying place sometimes of all this false personality and, and, you know, great accomplishments and things. And and I want to be the opposite. You know, I just I want to go out there and say today I failed miserably and this is what it looked like. And today was a success and this is what that looked like and this is who I am and I'm like some weird little hippie chick that like you know jumps in sewers to take pictures and I don't care if you think I'm dirty and that's fine <laughs> like silly things like that and and I don't know it, it makes me feel like my life is somehow more meaningful and authentic if I do that do you ever have a crew do you ever have assistance or anybody help you or if you jump down a sewer and you get stuck are you stuck by yourself for a yeah while? largely really? <laughs> <laughs> I don't usually have anyone Does helping your me out have a home 
homing beacon on you so he can oh find you. Oh my gosh, he should. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I, for a while, I was going out every morning, just leaving the house and not mentioning that I was leaving and I would be out for who knows how long. And finally, he was like, I can't keep waking up and wondering if you're like lost in the forest oh, wow. forever. Yeah. So so we at least we have a little system now. That's good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think he needs a homing beacon on you. Yeah. It'd be safe. <laughs> What um, photographers out there working today um, do you look up to? Are there any? Yeah, definitely. Um, Gregory Crudson is oh, yeah. a He's fantastic yeah, photographer. Um, I'm I'm always drawn to very cinematic images, and I think it's because I, you know, have a background in film and I love filmmaking, probably more than I love the medium of photography. So I love anything that looks cinematic and that looks like real effort was put into it. I love symbolic imagery. Um, Robert and Shana Park Harrison are another set of photographers that I love. Um, I, I look to anybody who's creating very meaningfully and with intent, and I think that's the thing that really draws me in the most. Are you making a lot of films? No, it's very sad. I picked up my still camera and never really tried anything with filmmaking. I, I ask because you say you like filmmaking more than you like taking stills. I do, so. but I like the process of photography more than the process of filmmaking. Do you think you'll get back into filmmaking? I do. I don't know if I'll ever get back into it in a big way. Like I don't have the same ambition to be a cinematographer anymore that I used to have, but I love um, music videos and short films and little projects. See, I'm very stubborn and I like to have control over everything, so Filmmaking doesn't quite allow for you to have a hand in every single process. Yeah, it's a it's a big group. Effort. What about yeah. like the flixels and cinemagraphs and plotographs and? I don't know. I haven't tried that yet. I, I, I feel like your work would do well there. Yeah, it would. Like, it, yeah. I see your work, and then there's just like one little creepy thing moving. <laughs> I would love that. And <laughs> I just like totally didn't think and, about it. Yeah. I will try. That's a good idea. Yeah, try and send us some. We want to. I, I will. Cool. I will. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what are some? Are you into, sounds like you're into reading or collecting books? Yeah. Are there some art books out there that you've recently got that are blowing you away? Oh, I'm so bad with this. I don't read any art books. Isn't it terrible? No, However, in the, in a, I guess I have two books that to me are the most helpful that I've read so far in terms of creativity and business. So one is, um, a book that I'm sure most people have heard of by now, which is Elizabeth Gilbert's Big Magic, which yeah. was fantastic and wonderful and important. Um, another one, I can't remember the author now, but it's called The Icarus Effect. And it's just this wonderful book based on this um, myth of Icarus and how we're all told this story of how he shouldn't fly too close to the sun because his wings will melt. But the other side of the story that didn't quite get translated was about how he was also told not to to fly too close to the water because then he would get bogged down and drown. And so the book, this book is about how we're told, you know, don't aim too high, but we're never told don't aim too low. And that's the important thing to be told. So it's really interesting. What's next for, for Brooke? What's the next shoot that you got coming up? Let's see. So I just finished a series that I've been working on for the last year plus. So I just got that up in a gallery. And so now I'm focusing on what the new series is going to be. And I'm in this really exciting stage of having no idea what that's going to be, which I love because anything is possible now. And, and I get to sort of plan out what the next year will look like and where I want to travel to. So all I know is that I, I feel, do you ever wake up and just think like, 
I've wasted so much time and my images are not reflecting what they should. I don't know. I wake up all the time and feel that way. So I woke up one day and I thought, you know, I've always, I'm, I've always done self portraits and yet my images are so not personal. I never touch on anything personal that I'm feeling or thinking or moments in my life, nothing. It's all very, um, about the character. So I thought, for my next series, I want to do something very personal, um, maybe something to do with fragility, because that's something that I sort of um, suffer from a lot, is feeling fragile or other people viewing me that way. So I don't know yet what it'll look like, but that's what I want to do. So does a series take you about a year to do? Is your planning and execution process about a year long? It depends. Um, it certainly doesn't have to. The last one did, so maybe I'll say I'll How give myself a series? year. Hmm? How many how many images were in that series? It ended up being nine. Um, I shot 14 or 15 total and then called it down. But yeah, it, it, that one took a long time because I built a room um, within a room, like a seven foot by seven foot room, and then spent a lot of time physically in the space. Um, for example, laying yarn down on the floor line by line for about 60 hours until there was a big circular pattern and, um, you know, bringing 600 pounds of sand into the room and just a whole bunch of things that were very physical. So it took a long time. Is it typical for you to call images out of a series? Yeah, and I think it's really important and necessary. I mean, if you're just accepting every single thing that you shoot, then you're probably not keeping all of your best images in the series. It's just like how a beginner photographer, you know, if you go out and take 100 pictures, you know, you might, your instinct would be, let's put all 100 pictures on my website right away. But the reality is they're not all that great. So, Have you ever gone back and reshot an image that hadn't quite worked out before, but you knew the, the theme was good? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, I mean, sometimes I'll reshoot an image five times. And, Seriously? Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it depends on how dedicated you are to the concept. Yeah. I mean, there are concepts where I do it and it doesn't work out and I just think, Uh, I'm uninterested now. Like I I tried it. I'm not so connected to it. And then there are others where you just can't let it go. You know, you do it and you think, nope, that's not how I see it in my imagination. And then you just keep trying and keep trying and, and you learn so much. And I love doing reshoots for that reason. I mean, at the moment I hate it and I, I grumble and I, I'm angry and then I do it and then, and then it gets done. And then I think, wow, I mean, what I've learned is angry. Yeah, I'm not a very angry person. <laughs> I'm just, I'm having a hard time picturing that. Yeah. I mean, my anger is more like, ah, oh, shucks, you know? <laughs> this girl cannot cuss. No, she won't. <laughs> she won't do it. I can't. <laughs> it sounds like you're pretty rewarded by your work. Yeah, I am. I, and I actually, I think that a lot of people are afraid to say that, you know? Like, I, I meet a lot of people who are very dismissive about their own work where they'll say, oh, I, I, you know, I'm not there yet. I don't love what I do yet and things like that. I love what I do. And not because it's great technically or conceptually or anything, but because it's me, it's my imagination and it's my story and, and I've done it and I'm so proud of that. And honestly, if I've had any success, I attribute it to this <laughs> sort of, um, false sense of success that I have where something so minuscule happens and I'll think it's the best thing ever and I celebrate all these little successes and then to me it feels like I don't know like I think that's got to be because you're so invested in the process you're doing every step yeah you're you're dreaming this thing you're producing it you're building it you're shooting it you're doing absolutely every step in it so you're far more invested in the image making process than a lot of photographers are yeah you know what I do I have a crew around me right so um, and it's very commercial work. I'm proud of it, 
but just listening to you, I, I, I see genuine um, joy yeah. that you get out of the images that you so make. Much. And you're, so, it, you're in them, so it's, it's a much more personal thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I was just talking to somebody who has been shooting for one year now. She got her first camera one year ago. And she was emailing me and saying, I'm not in any galleries yet. I, I feel like I should just quit. I'm like, wait, what? Like, first of all, it's only been a year. Second of all, you know, if you're not doing this for the joy of the experience, not even the image in the end, but just the joy of doing something that's fulfilling, then don't do it. Go find something else, you know? Don't worry about if you're not in a gallery. I mean, I I can't imagine ever stopping this, even if the whole world turned on me and suddenly I was hated and no gallery would take my work. It would be okay, you know, I'd get through it because I would at least still have the adventure. So it's the process for you. Yeah. I'm going to give you a super loaded question. You ready? Yes. So I, I'm just getting into photography. What camera should I buy? <laughs> oh, man. That's ridiculous. You're asking me. Oh, please. Well, um, let's, talk, well let's, talk about, let's start with your gear. Yeah. How has your gear evolved, uh, evolved so to, to, to today? I started with a Nikon D80. And even when I started shooting with it, people were like, you know, that's like really outdated. I don't even know if it was or wasn't, but oh well. And uh, so I started with that and then I moved on to a Canon 5D Mark II um, because it was popular and people were doing that. I, you know, yeah. it was good. Um, and then over the summer, um, I went on eBay. It's like, I'm not an impulse buyer, but I totally did. I went on eBay and I got a used um, Sony A7 II camera and I loved it. I loved it. And I was, I was so shocked. My husband was like, you don't even like cameras. Why are you telling everyone about it? I was like, I don't even know. I bought one too. And I love it. I, I love totally it. I totally fell in love with it. It's so yeah. small. It's so awesome. Yeah. It's ridiculous. It is. It's really nice. Um, so I have fibromyalgia. So I have a lot of joint problems. So I can't hold a heavy camera for very long. So it was just really nice to not feel that kind of stress around that. So. Yeah, yeah. The, the DSL, they get so heavy. Like, mm-hmm. just carry them around. I carried them around, uh, we took my family for my uh, daughter's birthday to Harry Potter World. Oh, my favorite I place. I was like, God. This yeah. Like, I was like, oh, this sucks. Like, <laughs> I'm never doing this again. Shoot with the medium format all the time. Yeah, those, yeah. Are, those are big cannons, you know? So, do you have a favorite lens? I've been, we, we ask everyone this. What is your go-to lens? A 50 millimeter. 50 mil. Always. Yeah, I feel like I just see the world in a 50 millimeter lens. It's as close to human eyes you can get. Is it? Yeah, for the oh, most part. Hey, 50, that makes 58 sense. millimeters is supposed to truly be what the human eye sees. That's so interesting. I never knew. So I do see the world through a 50 millimeter lens. Cool. Didn't didn't Nikon just come out with like an Nikon, exact 58 yeah, millimeter lens? A year ago, maybe a year and a half ago, they came out with a 58, um, and it's because that is what is closest to the human eye. Oh, that's eye. really yeah. interesting. So you're seeing the world in the right perspective, normal perspective. Cool. So as abnormal as you are, your vision is pretty normal. I guess so. Now <laughs> oh, I feel really boring. <laughs> way to oh, go, Rob, wait. insulting <laughs> the guests. Oh, man, no, it's, in the corner. I'm not insulting her. <laughs> no, She's feeling it because of the lens issue. Oh, crazy. Now I feel bad. How many of your ideas come from dreams? Any? Very few. Very few, but some have. Some have, definitely. So I have... I've always had this recurring dream um, ever since I was three years old that I was climbing through a bunch of stuffed animals in about a two-foot crawl space in an attic, just shoving them out of my way until finally I broke free and I was in this attic space and a frog, life-size, human-size, smoking a cigar, turns around in this office chair and shoots me in the head and I die. (laughs) 
And I was you like, keep having that dream? Yes, since I was three years old. And so one time I did an image um, where I took this teddy bear that I had and I sawed its head off with my kitchen knife. And I did a photo with this bear and his head sawed off. And, and I just always think of that You've dream. You've got problems. Brooke. I know, You've right? Got problems. <laughs> I swear, I die in most of my dreams. Really? It is very alarming to me. I hate it. Yeah, that's that's frightening. I know. And I don't, I, I don't watch horror movies. I don't read anything scary. I'm like scared either. of everything. Maybe that's what you need to do. I had a recurring dream Maybe for years about my father's death, and it would terrify me. Ugh. And I'm the same way. I wouldn't. I don't watch horror movies. I have no mm-hmm. fascination for it. This thing would scare the hell out of me all the time. Yeah. Long, the dream is long gone. Thank God. But do you guys know the the book Dune by yeah. Frank Herbert? Mm-hmm. So there's this quote that I have tattooed on my arm that says, "Fear is the mind killer," and I love it. And I like I've always dealt with fear as an issue in my life, and ridiculous fear, not even like logical adult fears, like feel a f- fear of failure and stuff like that. Just like, oh, I'm afraid that there's going to be someone under my bed who's going to kill me at night and things like that. Just like really ridiculous things. So it's a recurring theme for sure. Go ahead. Go ahead, Rob. So how often do you channel those fears into the work? And does the process of the work help you cope with it? Definitely it does. Um, I, I never very directly put my fears in my images, but more so through the process of shooting, I address my fears where I will, um, anytime I'm on a coast, I'll go to the ocean and just jump in the ocean. Whether I do a picture or not, it's sort of cathartic for me because I'm really afraid of the ocean. And it's something that allows me to sort of get in the mindset of saying, I'm going to do this. This is going to be something that I'm going to overcome and I'm going to get something out of it. I remember being in Iceland and I have two big fears, which are the ocean and whales, which is very nonsensical. I totally realize that. Any specific they whales? They are related. All whales. All whales. <laughs> yes. Is there one that's the scariest? The biggest one. The biggest one. Yeah. Is that the blue whale? The blue whale. The blue whale. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I also love them. Like, they're my favorite animal, but terrifying. So I remember I was in Iceland, and I really wanted to do a photo in the glacier lagoon there, like where where I got in the water and I was about to step out and I was already nervous because I mean, it was, you know, freezing and also like a body of water where you can't see the bottom. And, and as I was stepping out, this friend who was with me, he was like, you know, I was here two weeks ago and a whale swam right through here. And I was like, really? Like, that's what you're going to say to me when I'm going to do this picture. So I had to do it though. And I went out and I submerged myself and, and did this photo shoot and it was wonderful and I loved it, but it was I remember my heart pounding and then at some point just thinking, I have to relax into this because I'm either going to freeze to death or scare myself to death. So I've got to <laughs> just settle in and do it. But you, you said you don't put your fear into the, the photograph. Not very it's a, frequently. It's a con- conscious decision not to, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Why is that? Because I, I want to be the person that isn't afraid of those things. So I would rather be out in that water looking graceful and you know as integrated into the scene as possible rather than showing the fear behind it. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. Do you travel a lot? I do, yeah. Um, and I love traveling. Um, I like <laughs> I like adventure traveling, which I don't know if that's quite the right word. It's not like I'm diving out of airplanes or anything, but I love going off the beaten path, and um, I frequently try to do charity work when I travel, so that's something that I love. Where's your favorite places? Cambodia is my favorite, oh, really? I think. Um, I loved being there, despite getting arrested but that's we gotta tell that story (laughs) she's tied on time but why did you get arrested in Cambodia I was doing a photo shoot at one of the temples um, the same one where they shot Tomb Raider Mm -hmm. 
So I thought, well, you know, if Angelina Jolie can walk around in a little black, right. you know, suit, then then certainly I can take a picture. But that was not the case. So. And you got thrown in a Vietnamese cooler. Huh? <laughs> I had to. <laughs> it was actually pretty scary. First, I was. Uh, they took my camera and I had to go into this little sh house shack place nearby and about 20 men, like shirtless men who spoke no English. They were just like smoking. Wait, why were they shirtless? And I don't know. This is their Yes. That, but nobody I wants know. to do laundry that much? Come on. And Think they had guns and it was like, guns? I was just surrounded. Wait, the guys had no shirts had guns. Yes. Yeah, they were That's laying weird. there. That's weird. Okay. It was, it was a very frightening time. So we were held there for a couple of hours and then we went into the police station and and, and I mean, at the end of the day, they just wanted money, you know, for us yep, to get out of the situation. Down. So, did you pay up? Oh yeah. What? what it was probably like thirteen dollars. It was five hundred dollars. Oh what? Oh, that's a lot. It was a lot. Yeah. Did, did you consider like just kind of waiting it out and be like, nope? No, because it was escalating quickly. <laughs> it was it was escalating for sure. Oh yeah. It's the shirt. It's the no shirt tactic. They probably do that with everyone. Like, I know, feel right? Uncomfortable. Scare the hell out of anybody. We got guns and no shirts. I know. I I tend to look back on the situation and think, okay, I should have gotten permission, but also it was a little extreme. I think I'm like generally a very non-threatening small human, so I, I never expect <laughs> things to go that far. We're gonna put that on your page in the RDG podcast. Small, non-threatening human. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> Actually, you're delightful. I'm really, I know you're short on time, but I'm really glad you stopped by to talk with oh, us. Oh, me and, too. And I hope yeah, the audience really enjoys this. This has been really fun. Thank you. I've appreciated it very much. Where can everyone find your work online? On my website, um, brookshaden.com, and then there's links to all the other places there. Go there. It'll melt your face off. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> Do go there. But bring a set, bring a backup face. The first one's going to be melted off. <laughs> I can do a photo based on that, I think. There you go. Yeah. Oh, yes. Make a, a plotograph or whatever they're called. There's okay. There's like a million of them. Oh, work Someone's it. face melting off. <laughs> if you've enjoyed this episode, make sure to go to rggedupodcast.com where you can download the entire season. We're also on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. All of them, right, Rob? All of them. Every single one of them. We're everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Brooke. Have a good next rest of the week. Cheers. Thank you. This podcast has been brought to you by Capture One Pro. With the most reliable tether workflow, combined with the most robust image processing, Capture One Pro 10 is the choice of working professionals. Well, that's all she wrote for this one. Thanks for listening. Now get out of here and start shooting. This podcast is officially over. Over and out. Catch you next time, dude. Don't jeopardize. Don't sacrifice. RGG EDU.